Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Monica Reinagle. She is a board-certified licensed nutritionist and professionally trained chef. She's the creator of Nutrition Diva Podcast, one of iTunes' most highly ranked health and fitness podcasts since its debut in 2008, with more than 35 million downloads. She's also a regular contributor to the Huffington Post, Scientific American, and more. She has an incredible weight loss Uh, well, they call it Way Less Coaching Program, co-founded with Brock Armstrong, who's a wonderful friend of the Primal Blueprint family. And they focus on helping people break the cycle of yo-yo dieting and achieve healthy, sustainable weight loss. So we're going to get into this topic of super slow weight loss, which I know sounds a little bit anti what people want. But anyway, welcome to the show, Monica. How are you? Thank you so much, Elle. It's great to be here on the Primal Podcast. So you have a ton of experience in this arena. You've been doing this for years. What brought you around to like, okay, we need to slow it down? (laughs) Desperation, I think, you know, after (laughs) watching, you know, as you say, I've been at this for a long time. I've been covering diet and nutrition for 15 years, and I've seen all of the diet trends come and go, and I've reviewed all of the nutrition research that's come out during that time. And, you know, what I see is that basically all diets work in the sense that if you follow the rules, you will lose weight. And really, you can just take your pick, whichever one you like <laughs> will work for you if, you if you do it. But in another sense, no diets work because what we see eventually is that nine out of 10 people that lose weight on a diet will then go on to regain that weight and often regain more. And it's just been a frustration for me as a coach and a nutritionist to see this happening and certainly a frustration for the people who are in that cycle. And after thinking about it and, you know, sort of um, bemoaning this fact that, you know, it just doesn't seem like permanent weight loss is possible, I stumbled across this testable hypothesis, which I have now been testing for a couple of years. And the the deeper I get into this, the more convinced I am that this is the way. But as you said, this is a tough sell, at least at first, because it is so completely countercultural. It goes against everything that we read and do and hear and have experienced relating to weight loss. And so it's, um, yeah, it's a tough sell. But for those who see the wisdom in this approach and try it, what we're seeing is that super slow weight loss may actually be the fastest way, (laughs) if you know what I mean, to sustainable fat loss. You know, in the end, they end up ahead. Isn't there a fable about the yeah, the tortoise and the hare, you know, right. our little our little tortoises are winning the race. So um, so this has really become sort of a hobby horse for me. I, I write and speak about all different aspects of nutrition, and I never set out to be a weight loss coach or expert. But uh, this has really kind of become um, near and dear to my heart. Uh, and so, yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to to make my case for super slow weight loss. Well, I want to talk about some of those pitfalls because some of the things we've mentioned on the podcast before um, in my conversations with other people is it's the friend that calls me who's been bitching about losing weight for six years 
each year they have some new plan. They're going to go to boot camp. They're going to do this. Right. The last time I got a call, the plan <laughs> this is great. The plan was like a hundredfold. It was like, I'm going to go do this. Then I'm going to video my whole process. I'm like, okay, so now you're creating a TV show around, like, so now you're creating a production <laughs> fucking schedule around. So again, I've it's like- i quit my job. Right, I've, I've divorced my, my husband. Kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we always say, and I actually was just talking to Brad Kearns over here at my place earlier, where, you know, 80% of your body composition really is what you're putting in your mouth. And- Dial that in first. We always say to people, you can be 400 pounds. You don't need to go to the gym. You need the willpower to turn around the food. You might need three weeks to get your brain off of sugar or whatever. But at the end of the day, even if you could just stand for two minutes or vacuum the carpet and you're 400 pounds, that's all you need to do because eventually you will get motivated to move. You will burn fat. And, you know, people are like, it's twofold. They're like, okay, that sounds great because I can sit on my couch and I can actually tackle this without having to adjust my schedule or join a gym. The other side, though, is that, oh, shit, this is all on me, isn't it? Right? So let's get into some of these these pitfalls with, yeah. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. You said, you know, it's it's about finding that willpower. and And actually, I feel like we rely too much on willpower, um, that we, that we think that willpower is going to get the job done. And then when it doesn't get the job done, then there's a lot of, you know, self, uh, loathing that comes into it. I failed because I'm, I don't have enough willpower. I just wasn't strong enough. And, and I think we, that is one of the ways that we can set ourselves up for failure, but, but another way that isn't even, you know, so, um, you know, mental or behavioral is just the sheer physiological facts of the situation. Even Mm -hmm. the most conservative diet programs out there, you know, the Mayo Clinic diet or whatever it is, you know, the most buttoned down diet is going to encourage people to lose at least one to two pounds a week. And if they're, if you're 400 pounds, they're going to be encouraging you to lose more, but you know, one to two pounds a week is that number that we always hear that is supposed to be responsible weight loss and, and a reasonable goal. And, you know, the really sexy diets that everybody gets all excited about, they, you know, are actually pushing you to lose or promising that you will lose a lot more than that, right? Four or five pounds a week, at least at first, but even at one to two pounds a week, L virtually nobody can lose one to two pounds of body fat per week. I mean, nobody except elite athletes who are training six or eight hours a day, but that's what we're telling them to lose. So if you're not losing, you know, let's make that distinction though. Let me interrupt there because, because that's a good point is that, you know, these shows that are touting the weight loss shows, the biggest losers, et cetera, Mm. they're all about what the weight is on the scale. That's not the focus, right? It's percentage of body fat. And so uh, this is what you're touching on here. And that's that. this is why I say, get off the scale, people. You know how you feel in your underwear. You know how you're fitting in your jeans. Get off that scale until you're starting to feel good. Then maybe weigh yourself or not at all. Because you know how you look. You know how you feel. Yeah. And... let's talk about that more because that's a distinction there. I think it's important. I think people are dialed into body composition to a greater extent than they used to be. And, you know, now you can buy scales that will measure your body fat composition with, you know, variable degrees of accuracy, but at least it's a concept that people have that, yeah, I don't want to just be losing weight. I want to be losing fat. And yet there's this kind of disconnect because, we're still trying to lose at least one to two pounds a week. And there is, you know, no way that we're losing one to two pounds of body fat. So if it's not body fat, what is it? 
Well, right? it's just water weight. Yeah. Well, at first there's a fair amount of water weight, but pretty soon the difference between the amount of body fat you're able to lose and the amount of weight that you're losing each week is lean muscle. And this is a disaster, right? That is the last thing you want to be losing. And, um, you know, so if you, you, it's not that hard to lose 10 pounds um, in a month. If you're, you know, determined and you're on, you know, your latest kick and you've bought the latest book and you've eliminated, you know, half the food groups, you can lose 10 pounds, but only two or three pounds of that is fat. And the rest of it is a little bit of water and a bunch of muscle. Okay. So now you're behind the eight ball when, if, and when you then go on to regain that weight, you know, a lot of people will kind of bounce up and down that same 10 pounds, right. Over and over and over again. The problem is when you gain it back, because you're just eating too many calories, more calories than you're burning, you're not gaining back equal parts of fat and lean muscle. You're gaining back mostly fat. So when you mm-hmm. get, when you bounce back up to the top of your yo-yo, you may feel like, ugh, I'm back where I started. No, you're considerably worse off because now you're back up at your higher weight with a worse body composition. And the more times you do that, you know, the more it it turns into this. Um, this downward spiral. And this is what I feel like, okay, enough, enough. We have to slow the pace of weight loss down and calibrate it to the pace that we can reasonably expect to be losing body fat. There is just no other way to do this that makes sense. And, um, And then there's another sort of hidden benefit to this. You know, once you can kind of get inside people's head and convince them, I know this goes against everything you've ever experienced, but just go with me here, you know, try to lose no more than half a pound a week, you know, and they look at you like you're crazy, but you know, if you can convince them to just give you a couple of months and they get on and they get into this groove and they start doing that, a couple of interesting things happen. One, and we hear this over and over again from the people that we are coaching in the program that you mentioned, the way less program that I do with Brock Armstrong. Eventually, maddeningly slowly, they lose five pounds. But what they'll say is, yeah, but the last time I looked like this, I weighed a lot less than I do right now. I used to have to lose 10 or 15 pounds to look the way I look right now, to wear the dress or the jeans or the shorts that I'm wearing right now. What is going on? And I feel like, yep. And that, and there it is. So, you know, there's the difference. And there's a, there's a woman that took a photo of herself. Uh, she was like 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. She was somewhat tall, like maybe five, nine. She was a, a larger girl. Um, and, and, you know, pretty stocky and she took a photo of herself and then she took a photo of herself at the same exact quote weight, but her body percentage fat was so different. I think and I she saw looked those amazing. Photos, yes. Yeah. It was a really cool visual because it just showed you the difference between this woman is the same weight on the effing scale, right. but it's a totally different body. And this, is why looking at the scale is a disaster for so many reasons because a it's not the goal and b listen you could just have a couple pounds in your colon at that moment exactly i mean you know one pound two oh i gained two pounds oh i lost two pounds it's like a, a daily thing it's not a daily oh, right thing, i just right? got this because the fat yeah. percentage is not yeah. the question just came in yesterday and I, it comes up about every month it's like okay if i if i eat too much how long will it take for that to show up on the scale it's like, oh that's not how it works it's a misguided uh question yeah six for sure. hours after lunch that's when you're gonna no come on but but, you know, the the other, um, I alluded to this and I wanted to circle back. The other thing that happens when you can get people to put the brakes on and start um, losing weight much more slowly is, is the, that the 
techniques or the, the, the habits, the behaviors that you have to deploy to, to get that moving are is exactly the same as the behaviors that you will need to master in order to maintain that lower weight. And so this slower pace of weight loss also gives you that much more time to master this new way of being. And so instead of, you know, losing weight and then getting to your goal weight and being screwed because now what? The whole time you are slowly losing weight, you are becoming more and more secure in the habits and the lifestyle and all important, the mindset, right? The head game of somebody who weighs that lower weight, who naturally weighs less. Um, You know, one of our little... I want to highlight that because... I I was thinking, again, you know, back to you're trying to crank a program, right? Let me jump into this. I'm going to torch this before my Bahamas trip or whatever. (laughs) Um, When you're cranking anything like that from any vantage point, because usually if you want to lose weight, you're not happy with oneself. You're missing some of those behavioral patterns. Then you're not addressing oneself and your food story and all of these things around perhaps emotional eating behaviors, triggers. These things have to be addressed no matter who you are, because if you're not where you are liking right now, then you got to do something different. And then there's the distinction between the difference and there's nuggets of wisdom there. Well, and all of that that you just mentioned that that's being sort of ignored while they crank their program, it's all waiting for them at the end when they get to their goal weight, when they finish their 30 day, whatever, or, you know, whenever, when they get to the so-called finish line, all of that stuff is waiting (laughs) to, you know, to, to blow up. It's going to come up at some point. Right. So let's just tackle it from, from the beginning. So it really is, um, a a mindset shift, but it's been really fun to work because, you know, working on weight loss with people in the traditional way is as a, as a nutrition professional is really defeating you know, (laughs) because you see it fail over and over again. And working with people on this, um, it is is so much more rewarding because as we see them, you know, make these very slow, um, changes in body composition and in weight loss, we also see this transformation that's able to happen, you know, cause you got a lot of time to kill when you're losing weight that slowly. Right. <laughs> and, and, and in that time you have an opportunity to look at those things, the behaviors, your, um, your reasons for eating, how you've set up your environment. This is a big thing that, um, Brock Armstrong brings to our program and our world is this idea of hacking your habitat, you know, that you, that if you want to change your habits and your behaviors, you really need to set up your environment to support the those new behaviors, you know, and, and that goes to what we were talking about a little bit before about how we don't want to rely so exclusively on willpower because that will run out. So let's put some systems in place to make, you know, those choices a little bit more automatic and the, and the default and, you know, build those habits, um, while, while we're at it. How, does this work in terms of your coaching program? I mean, I'm assuming you're addressing a lot of mindset and not just throwing people meal plans. How does your coaching program, yeah, yeah how, how do you wrap those topics? Or, oh, it's worse than that. Uh, we don't give them any meal plan whatsoever. <laughs> you're on your own, people. And, figure um, it out. There's, <laughs> yeah. No, really. Yeah, it's really. It, it is a kind of a figure it out, but let's, you know, we're going to help you. Well, we set up this program. Um, it runs an entire year because we feel like that's how much time we need not to get people to a certain weight or to a lot of people hit what they feel is um, their ideal sustainable weight, you know, 
a few months in, depends on how, where they start. And they spend the rest of that time uh, maintaining. Um, a lot of people need that time because they've got a lot of weight to lose. A lot of people need that much time, L, because they spend the first sex, six months fighting it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bargaining, you know, mm-hmm. and t- psyching themselves out and, you know, uh, and it takes that long to deprogram them before they can really buckle down, you know, and get out of that dieter's mindset and adopt this new way of looking at it. But we work with people over the course of an entire year and, um, and we cover, yes, we do talk, we don't give anybody a meal plan or an exercise program, but we talk a lot about how to figure out the eating patterns and the food choices that make you feel the best, how to figure out the kinds of exercise and the kinds of non-exercise activity that give you energy, that make your body feel good. And then I would say at least a third of the time we spend on um, our our mindset, our you know preconceived notions, our deeply ingrained beliefs. What you, what did you say earlier? The stories we tell ourselves about our bodies and food, and, and boy, there's a lot there. So I don't want to make it sound like it's group therapy. I guess every once in a while it kind of gets into that, um, but but we spend a lot of time on that, and that's where a lot of the the breakthroughs you know come. And it's not like you are white knuckling it for an entire year because losing weight very slowly is a lot less difficult. You know, in it in a way, you know, it, it's a much smaller adjustment. It's a much smaller disruption. You know, it, it doesn't take as much willpower because you're not under eating to the to the same degree that you have to under eat to be losing, you know, up one percent of your body weight every week. Um, so it's not that difficult. Um, it's not that unpleasant. It's easier to to sustain, but um, but it it gives people not just time to succeed, but time to fail, and then realize that they don't have to just give up, that they can actually keep going and push through the setback or push push through the relapse and find out what happens after that. Because most of them, their experiences, they get gung-ho, they start something, they have some early success, they hit a roadblock, they fail, and then they just completely bail and then start looking for, eventually we'll start looking for the next new thing, you know, the next magic solution. And this, you know, is an opportunity to kind of get pushed through that point to realize like, oh no, this is just how I live now. This is the, a a new way of conceiving of myself, my relationship to food, my body, my relationship to movement. Um, often my relationship to the other people in my life that comes up too, but, but it's great. And we have been so lucky with the, um, group that we have two groups. Um, we have about 250 people working their way through the program. Uh, one group is almost done almost at the end of the year. The other group's about halfway through and we're getting a third group rolling in just, Oh, actually just a couple of days. They, they start on July 6th. So that is coming right up here. Um, but we've been so lucky with the people that have ended up in this program. It's men and women. It's the age range is all over the place from twenties through to people who are past retirement and finally feel like they have time to take (laughs) care of themselves. It's, endurance athletes, it's, you know, ultra marathoners and it's people who are really getting into exercise for the first time. So it's a very diverse group, but also I think because of the nature of the program, it just attracts people who, um, are thoughtful, you know, and willing to, uh, you know, really look at the evidence and not get swept away by, by trends. And, you know, they're just a very great supportive group. So we've really enjoyed working with them. I'll share a couple that I've heard and personal, there's um, Evolution Eat, Daniel Thomas Hine came on the podcast. He talked about 
how for him growing up, food was always like a reward or a show of love, big Italian family. And so to kind of comfort himself, he would have like food parties with himself. And I totally understand this because I used to do this too, where it's like, you know, like, all right, it's Saturday night. I've got nothing going on. I'm going to go get a bunch of food and just hang out with myself and have a party. Like, you know, and it's usually a binger situation, usually probably not some of the best choices. I totally identified with that when he mentioned it, because that used to be a part of way back when, when I was a food addict, some of my emotional eating and like, again, like celebration, right? Um, there's another one I heard, Gay Hendricks, who's a great uh, author and... Um, sure. Yeah, Powers of Conscious Mind, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, who are um, love experts, actually. But he talked about in one of his books, The Big Leap, where when his you know mother left at a young age, because his dad took off and went to work and he was crying in his grandma's arms, she gave him a bottle of milk with a little vanilla and brandy. And so now, and so then he, and realized as, yeah, he realized as an adult, every time you get upset, he go for the vanilla ice. You know, I mean, and you just, you go, okay, this stuff's really ridiculous. No, but it's there. And it's real. Sure. And it's, it's we got to look at this stuff. And, and you're never going to succeed beyond that six-week program or the boot camp to have sustainable weight loss. And also just forget weight loss, sustainable health and sustainable mindset. Yes. Um, I never want to go back to being a sugar addict. It was horrific. It was horrible. And it doesn't matter what shape of body you're on. When you are obsessed with food, you can't stop thinking about it. You're making deals at the grocery store. Oh, if there's a parking space. No. And then I drive away. No, I'm driving back. I'm changing my mind again. I'm back and forth five times to get the donuts. It's a horrible place to be, but it does take a little bit of time to get your body unaddicted to these things. It's a crack. It's a drug. And that takes time. And so you're going to suffer if you jump into anything from a platform of being a food addict or food obsessed or a sugar addict, regardless of what program you do, you know, any six week, eight weeks. So you've got to do it consistently. I love the idea that this is a year long because that's lasting change. And so usually the people will go through five, six week program you know, and they'll probably end up to you and be like, all right, I really need the help now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you have to, um, you have to convince yourself uh, pretty thoroughly that what you have been doing over and over and over again, and it hasn't been working isn't going to start working. You know, you have to kind of get to that. I don't, I don't want to call it, you know, hitting bottom, but, but you have to, um, uh, have been around the track a couple of times to, to realize, you know, that, okay, I tried that. It didn't work. It's time to try something else. But, um, I think it's interesting what you say about dealing with that aspect of, you know, food being for many of us, we are, we're trained, uh, to, to, view food or experience food as a source of comfort. And it, comfort eating is something that comes up almost right away in the in the program once we all get comfortable with ourselves. And, you know, we have a very private uh, forum in which to interact, but still, you know, you got to kind of get comfortable. And as, and as soon as start, people feel comfortable, the comfort eating comes up. And we have actually renamed comfort eating discomfort eating because we've realized that it yes. arises out of discomfort, right? And that ultimately it produces discomfort. There might be a fleeting experience of comfort in there uh, in between the discomforts, but it doesn't last long. And, you know, so essentially we've rebranded comfort eating, as, which we all recognize and and have experienced, we've rebranded that discomfort eating um, because we just feel like that's more accurate. But but I do think that it's okay. And one of the things that we work towards in this program is getting to a, a point of, of comfort with yourself and with your eating um, habits and patterns in your relationship to food, where food can be a source of enjoyment, can be a source of, of pleasure and 
celebration without that dark shadow uh, that you were describing so well of, of feeling out of control, of, of feeling like you can't stop, like you're going to, you won't stop until you've actually harmed yourself, you know, Um, that it is actually possible to come out the other side, that we don't have to just um, strip food of all of its emotional and aesthetic content in order to make peace with it or to have the bodies that we want. It is possible to, to get to a point where food can be more than just fuel, you know, because it, when you look at our culture and our history, you know, food occupies a, a huge central role in our social lives and in our aesthetics for, you know, those of us who enjoy cooking. It's a huge creative outlet. It, it is a way that we show that we care about other people. And that doesn't have to be completely stripped away and expunged in order to form a healthy relationship. Um, but I do think that those people that feel the most out of control uh, with food are the very people that are attracted to those very austere, strict, boot campy, you know, yep. kinds of programs. And it's almost like a relief. Like they're just going to be straight jacketed yep. and, and they'll, you know, be forced or they'll be able to force themselves to stay in the, you know, in the groove because they've set themselves this goal. But, you know, th- that then often sets up an equal but opposite sort of binging reaction when it's all over. Um, so we're, we're looking to try to, bring both of those ends in towards the middle to something that feels a little more wholesome and a little bit more realistic for the long term, which is where most of us live our lives, right? Not just from January 1st to February 15th. (laughs) (laughs) Not just bikini season, pre-summer. Yeah. Um, I personally, I love food so much more. I eat so much slower. I, when I was a food addict, I would scarf food down isn't that ironic it's so weird and i notice now like i really enjoy like i chew my and it's it's not even conscious anymore like to your food 30 times i'm not counting it's just i'm really enjoying that piece of meat longer in my mouth when i was a sugar addict and and food obsessed i would just i mean it's like you couldn't get quicker to the end of the meal and now sometimes it's left there i wait half an hour i come back to it i'm eating again i'm it's like a whole enjoyable relaxed experience there's no stress um and i'm not thinking about food after that meal which didn't matter how big the meal was before when i was a food addict i'd be thinking about it you know when's the next one and so the mindset it does really change as you go through these patterns and you get cleaned out uh, it, it's amazing and it's so enjoyable. And I look back and I go, "Wow, man!" I think about those meals I scarfed yeah. through that I could have. Uh, you enjoyed. can't look back. Can't. No, I mean, no one could have should have. But you know what I mean? Like, oh man, I I could have enjoyed that so much more, right? So, right, yeah, there was some good food in there. Yeah, you know, you're reminding me of of something else that um, we hear very frequently, and that is um, people who have for their entire adult lives sort of dreaded um, special occasions weddings, right. yes. vacations, me. uh, be, because they were never going to be ready in time. They weren't going to be thin enough. You know, they weren't going to get to their goal before that, whatever happened. And then there was this other aspect of dreading a vacation or a special meal out or a celebration that, you know, they would either have to suffer because they were going to be not eating and being really strict with themselves and sticking to their diet. And that was going to kind of wreck the occasion or the, you know, or they were kind of anticipating that they were just going to fall off the wagon and they were going to blow it out and that there would be some horrible price to pay, you know, at the, um, at the other end of the vacation, but that they weren't going to be able to, you know, just a horrible set of confusing emotions to go into something that 
should be something that we look forward to. And a lot of people um, that we've been working with have expressed how fun it is to head into a vacation and feel absolutely fine about how they look and not be worried about overeating while they're on vacation and not, you know, even though they might choose to loosen the reins a little bit because they're on vacation. Maybe it's a glass of wine every night instead of just on the weekends or whatever, because they're on vacation. They, and they know that when they come back, they are, they haven't left their program. You know, they're, they're still the same sort of healthy, responsible eaters that they were before, during, and now after their vacation and event. And it's so much more integrated, but it makes, you know, your description, uh, reminds me that, you know, when they describe like how much they used to dread these things that people would look forward to, how sad that was and, you know, how, how, um, much nicer it is, you know, to actually be able to look forward to those things and not dread either the hardship of them or the, um, penalty that will be exacted from enjoying them. Or the setting up for failure. I've heard this a few times from people who have not yet gone on the journey to, to help themselves yet who are wanting to, and then let's say maybe they start something and then they're like, uh, well, you know, I'm going back home though in a couple of weeks. It's going to be tough to, I just stop them right there. I'm like, you just set yourself up for failure. You know, like again, you're, you're basically saying I'm going to go off the wagon because I'm traveling. I hear this a lot from people who are still food addicted and it makes sense because I'm here to tell you as a former food addict, I never worry about such things ever, ever anymore. I don't dread events. Right. I don't care if I have to go out of town. And also, let's, I want to touch on the vacation thing. You know, considering that, you know, listen, carbohydrate dependency in our society is huge. Type 2 diabetes is huge. We've got a ton of food addicts and sugar addicts. People are over-consuming. We, we get that. A lot of people look at vacations like eating, drinking frenzies. And right. I don't. But that they look at it like this is a binger. So they go on vacation in that way. It's like, I'm going to let loose. I'm going on this cruise. I'm going to eat all I can. Sometimes almost vacations can be an excuse to binge. And it's interesting when the tides turn and you're then like where I am now, where, you know, I just, it's, it's, I'm healthy no matter where I go and no matter what I do. And I might have a piece of wedding cake, which I wouldn't do every day, but right. Uh, The whole event's not a ruined. Yeah. Yeah, it it is. And, and, and you're right. I think, you know, people have developed a habit of kind of bracketing these events, whether it's, you know, a fraught emotional event, like oh, I'm going to be like with my family for a week or, <laughs> or a happy event, like, ah, I'm going to Disneyland, whatever it is, you know, kind of putting a bracket around it as if it doesn't belong to you or the rest of your life. And as if, um, and I think that, you know, when you are in a sort of food obsessed state, because you don't feel in control of that, um, there's this illusion that allowing yourselves to just completely take off, you know, take your hands off the wheel and just go wild is going to enhance your enjoyment of that experience. And of course, if it takes very little sort of investigation to, you don't have to peel back very many layers to that mental thought to realize, oh, that's bullshit. (laughs) That is not actually going to make this vacation more fun. But we never, you know, we stop right at that, that, first thought, that first false thought is so well rehearsed and so familiar to us that we don't go any further past that. And we just, it's so true that we believe what I, what we tell ourselves, we, you know, and, and so we need to be really careful what we say to ourselves. And and then there's great power in that as well, because we can choose how we talk to ourselves and that can really uh, change our experience of I'll, I'll put reality in air quotes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a, there's a, 
reality. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book called Words Have Power. It's really a, an incredible book. She talks about weight release versus weight loss or just the idea of, listen, I, you know, no one knows more than me how it is to be, have, have been in a fat, bloated, hypo body that wouldn't do what I wanted. No matter what I did, it wasn't going to lose weight anyway because I was metabolically a zero. And to just look every day, hate yourself, just like, damn it, I have to, like, just crying, just, I have to lose weight, I have to, I have, you know, you continually say, I have to, I have to, you probably always be in a situation of having to versus already being there, you can want, 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 versus you could get to the emotion of already having it, so it's like, what's your story, I can't lose weight, I've never been able to lose weight, whatever, start to look at, you know, the things you're saying to yourself and other people, start to change that or stop saying that and maybe turn them around and look at some of the affirmative qualities of things you can tell yourself. You could always be like, you know, I'm in the process of getting healthy. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Yeah, I mean, it's important for those that's things right. to be you true. Have to believe but, it, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what drives that sense of desperation that I hear you describing is what drives us to feel like, okay, I just have to get this weight off fast yep. and then I will figure it out. Like I cannot stand this one more second. I have to just peel this off whatever it takes as fast as the biggest loser kind of thing. And those shows, of course, feed that fantasy. And then once I'm thin, I will, I promise I will figure all the rest of this stuff out. I will never get back. And, you know, right. and of course you're that, so right at detailing that thought process. That's so common. And that rush to, to try to get to that point where we can feel okay. Of course it, it's, it's like anti-fuel. It slows us down. It takes us longer because we, we can't start. We start and stop and start and stop. We lose and gain and lose and gain and lose and gain. And that hurry is really not moving us closer to our goal. It's moving us further from our goal. Um, and you can break that down intellectually and say like, okay, yeah, I can see that that's true, that I can lose the same 10 pounds five times in the course of a year, and I'd be better off losing it once over the course of the year and actually staying there, even though that might seem like an intolerably slow pace of weight loss, we can understand that intellectually. But when you're in that state of just disgust and desperation, um, you know, it is hard to think, you know what, I'm going to just change this slowly and permanently instead of go through this cycle of hurry up and then crash. And then backslide one more time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, t- it's tough. I get it. it it's I like the it. Fibonacci, right? It's like one step forward, eight steps backwards. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's how it works. I also just want to bring up another point, um, which I'm sure you'll agree with, but I'd love to hear your opinion. You know, mm, so many people try to rope others into their damn weight loss situation. And it usually is a fail. It's like, well, I have to try to get my boyfriend on board, my husband on board, my family. Board. You know what? Mm-hmm. How about you get no one on board but yourself? Let everyone do what they want. If they want to come on board later, great. You are setting yourself up for failure when have a buddy. Have you ever seen uh, two two drunks, so one tries to quit drinking. Yeah, yeah. They're still hanging out with each other. One's going to rope the other one in or whatever. You know, you, then you'll cheat together, right? Oh, let's be bad. So, you know, I just think it causes a lot of problems. And also, again, it's like, it's a, it's a codependent situation you're jumping into. And this needs, this is you, you are living in your body. Mouth to anus is all you. No one's force feeding you. So I just try to shy away people from partnering up or trying to, you know what I'm saying? So I'd like you to touch on that because I think that that can be a pitfall. Well, uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier how important your environment can be 
towards setting you up for success, the cues that you have around you in your physical environment. And I think that that's one of the reasons that people feel like it's really hard for me to do this when I am living with someone who is bringing food into the house that I'm trying to avoid, you know, and trying and, and perpetuating habits or, or tempting me with things or trying to get me to, you know, slip back into habits that I'm trying to break because it makes them more comfortable if I don't change. Right. Because my trying to make a change is sort of like subtly judging anybody who doesn't. So I, I really do understand the challenge of people who are trying to change, you know, because families are systems, right? Whether you live with your mm-hmm. partner or your parents or your kids or whatever combination of people you live with and offices work like many families, right? Office situations, co-working situations, but you know, sure, bring in the donuts. Yeah. These are systems. And when one person in a system changes the rules, even if they are only changing the rules for themselves, it, it disturbs the equilibrium in the entire system. And that can sometimes have positive benefits. It often has negative benefits, but it's just very destabilizing. So I do sympathize with how difficult it can be to be the one member of a system who is committed to change and and having to, on top of everything else that you're trying to overcome and, and you know, marshal your forces to, to achieve, you are also ha- dealing with headwinds from the other people in your system who, for whatever reason, are invested in you not changing. So, uh, but you make an excellent point about, um, you know, yoking ourselves to another person and, you know, the, the pitfalls of that, because then one person, uh, starts to slip and then it becomes, you know, really easy for the other person to join them. Or there's this idea that we both have to do this the same way because there is only one true way. And of course that's not true. Really. We, we each need to kind of figure out our own best sort of, um, you know, food, world and exercise world, you know, that it really is an individual prescription that we need to, um, figure out for ourselves. And so getting everybody on the exact same program is often problematic. Um, so it, it is tricky and perhaps, you know, a a group coaching program, which gives you people that are supportive, but not that close to you. Right. Um, that's right. And so you get people with whom you now share a vocabulary with whom you are kind of working through the same materials at the same pace, who might be able to feedback or it's unbiased. Um, but they're not right. They're not in that codependent relationship. And so there's just that, um, a a healthy degree of, of distance that can happen there. Um, that, that may be kind of the best of both words. So, because I think peer support can be really helpful, but you're right. It, it really can be uh, tricky if you're trying to convert somebody else or they're trying to, you know, um, pull you off your, uh, what they may perceive to be a soapbox, you know, it, it gets complicated, you know? Yeah. It really does. I want to just bring up, um, Keith and Michelle Norris, who are the CEOs of Paleo FX, the big paleo event every year, he tells a story that, you know, they've been married for years. He decides that he was going to change and quit grains. And she's from an Italian family and was you know, <laughs> cooking all these pasta dishes. And she cooked something and he was like, nope, not having it. And she's like, are you telling me you're never going to eat my pasta again? And he's like, yeah. You know, good for him. Now she eventually got on board, whatever. Even if she didn't, it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He didn't allow anyone to guilt him into anything. Mm-hmm. He stayed his course. And I also think the success you get on the other end, if you've been through a system that's a little bit difficult, the rewards are greater because guess what? Life is full of them. 
The airports are got Dunkin' Donuts, right? Going to go to people's houses. There's chips. There's stuff like that everywhere. So in a way, you can kind of see it as probably like the ultimate trainer, right? If you're yeah. if you're in that system, that you know that the triumph is is really great, and and the. The, the sense of accomplishment you'll have, even though there's a box of Triscuits or whatever in the, in the, and you know, one time I heard, I've heard this from people, uh, the blaming and they're like, oh, he just brought this into the house. Oh, wish he'd stop buying these M&Ms. And I just, I just literally every time anyone says that I go, nope, that's bullshit. That's all on you. You have a decision to make on whether you're going to eat the M&Ms or not. It doesn't matter if it brings mm-hmm. them in the house. Now, if you get your partner on board to go, Hey, can we just not bring this in? Or right. if you're going to eat it, maybe, you know, not I while don't we're like, <laughs> right. Or, you know, there, there might be ways you can, you can work, but then, you know, other, like you said, it can get tricky because people can get resentful of like, well, I want to eat it and I'm fine, you know, and I, well, so I'm a grown again, up. that's You're not the boss right. of me. <laughs> that's right. And that's why it really is an individual thing because the success is going to be individual, right? Everything about it is individual. And most of the time what we see is when someone transforms, people around them are like, whoa, and then they get on board too. And even if they sure. don't, at least you're on board. There's, there's, there's often some initial resistance just because it's very threatening, but then if you just kind of keep your head down and do your thing, um, especially if you're doing something that's not insane, if you're doing something that's like really manageable and sustainable and reasonable, it's even easier for people to slowly sort of drift your way. But, but I think you make an excellent point that we can't, um, rely on having, you know, uh, being able to control our environments 100% in order to, to do what we want to do. We do have to internalize, um, some of our motivation and our, you know, sense of, uh, responsibility, you know, because we will never be able to 100% control our environment. Yeah. We're going to walk through that airport and smell those pretzels or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or the mall. And, and so, yeah, like just, um, living like a, a monk is not, is not the solution, you know, just kind of, but finding that, uh, that inner, um, um, satisfaction and that inner resolve and that inner, yeah, feeling like I am where I want to be, um, you know, which, which can be very sustaining is a big part of surviving in what we can all agree is a very obesogenic environment. Even if it might not be in the four walls of your home, the minute you walk out the front door, there mm-hmm. you are, you know, <laughs> I just can't believe I remember the first time I saw the the candy rack at the checkout of the Home Depot. It's like, when did hardware stores become right. an eating it occasion? When did that happen? You know, and now it really there is well, actually, no. Actually, you care. know what? It makes sense because whenever I see like construction guys and stuff over at the do <laughs> yourself, they're always like grabbing a Coke or and whatever from the Seven Up from like the you know, the gas station, they're always like, I'm like, Oh, maybe that makes total sense. It would oh, be at the maybe. Home Depot. They're doing all this long construction and then they're carbohydrate dependent and they feel like they need a sugar blast every couple hours. That's probably why they put it in there. Cause they saw that that was a thing and they're feeding into it. Um, yeah. When did that happen? And it just shows the prevalence of sugar availability and it's always in our face. And that's why, again, the, really yeah. I think the self-worth that you gain and the self-empowerment that you gain from uh, mastering this, getting through this, working on this at a slow pace and going through a program such as yours is, man, the rewards on the other side, just in self-confidence and inner self-confidence of what you just did mm-hmm. for yourself is far off and exceeds the actual drop in dress size, if that it's makes that, sense. Yes. It's a word that we throw around a lot um, behind the scenes, and that is self-efficacy. Like mm. one of the things we want people to walk away from this 
with, you know, whatever, however many pounds they lost or dress sizes they dropped or whatever, we want them to leave with a sense of self-efficacy that this, that they own this, you know, mindset, these, this, these skills, these tools, this, the ability to figure out what's going on and choose what they want. Um, that's, that's a huge part of it. And I think that's what you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in wrapping up, share with us, how does this work? You have a group. I love the idea of getting unbiased support from people that don't know you and your stuff, right? This is where <laughs> family members come into problem. Like I'm not going to coach, you know, my, my cousin because I'm going to be biased, right. Or something, you know what I mean? Like go right. get a coach who so, doesn't know you. Right. So, um, right. let's talk about how, so aside from the community, what is it like? Do I get a video every week? Do, is there exactly, homework? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give us a rundown. So when you when you join the program, um, and the, all the details are at wayless.life if people want to check this out. But don't wait because we ha- this next group is launching, and we don't we're only launching once a year at this point. So <laughs> hustle on over there. But when you join the program, right every Friday morning you get your materials for that week. That way people can kind of you know digest them over the weekend, and then they've got the week to put them into play. And it's an audio uh, podcast. We also send the transcripts because some people like to read, some people like to listen, and usually there is some. Um, you said homework. I, I guess that's a home, you know, an assignment, um, an exercise, some focus that, you know, is the sort of focus for the week that we want you to either implement or investigate or think about, gather information about, you know, come up with some responses to, or, you know, just do it. <laughs> um, and then, and that built, so, and then each week, you know, you get the, the next little installment comes. So, so it builds on itself and we cycle through, you know, the, just the real practical stuff. Um, having to do with what goes in your mouth, how are you moving your body, you know, how are you setting things up to the more social things, the, the, um, the internal, the emotional parts of it, you know, strategies, tools, skills. And so every week you get, yeah, another, another thing. And then, um, I mean, another unit to, to, and there's a membership site. We have, um, some monitoring tools that we ask you to use throughout the program just to kind of keep people accountable, uh, to themselves. Um, once a month we have a live uh, what we call town hall meeting that we do uh, by video where everybody gets on and then we can really, you know, kind of talk in, in real time. And then the group forum, uh, we use a private, um, actually a secret Facebook group where people are in there um, that only members of the of their group, of their cohort are part of, um, where they can kind of discuss the materials that come up or ask questions or share, you know, whatever's going on with that. So that's the experience. You know, consuming the materials probably takes I don't know, maybe 45 minutes a week, you might spend another 30 to 45 minutes actually doing the various things. And then the rest of it is just living it. Um, you check in with Facebook on the Facebook group if you want to. Um, and, and if you, if you dig that kind of support, if you find that supportive, a lot of people, I think get a lot of value out of giving support, you know, and, and that gives them an opportunity, you know, and you kind of realize what you know, in a way that you might not until you hear yourself telling it to somebody else. So those are the the main, uh, features, the weekly, um, units, the closed group forum, the monthly video meetings and, uh, and our group that's just finishing asked, begged us to, um, to set up sort of an alumni association for them so that when they got to the end of the year, there would be sort of a lower key way for them to continue, um, having access to the tools and each other and us. And so, uh, so we did put that into place. So if you get to the end of the year and you just feel like things are going great, but I just want some continued support and structure, then that's available as well. Excellent. And even though we will put all of the links in the show notes to connect with you on all platforms, can you tell us what website to go to directly to get 
into this coaching program. Yes, it is way less, all one word, way less dot life. And that will take you to the, um, to the program. And there's links there. If you have questions and you want to contact me or Brock, just with specific questions about it, you can get to us through that link. And, uh, um, but if nothing else, I hope that people who are listening to this may reevaluate the next time they find themselves plunging themselves into, okay, 10 pounds or bust, you know, <laughs> and, right. and, and, and slow, you know, and think twice about that and, and think about, um, I hope, uh, whether or not people feel like this program is for them, I hope I've managed to to make the case for super slow weight loss as being actually the fastest way to get to where you're trying to get. And I know that you're on board with that, L, and that it's consonant with, you know, what the Primal podcast really is um, is working on, you know, every week and year after year. But um, but just never helps or it never hurts to to pile another load of of testimony and, and evidence, uh, on, onto the truck just to make that case a little bit stronger. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. Our case is really like, look, it shouldn't be a struggle and sacrifice. It shouldn't right. be this hard. It doesn't have to be. I'm really here to tell you again. Yeah. You might need a little initial willpower to put down the cookies every day for, you know, but you can get there. You know, I even say to people too, like, Hey, you know, listen, if you're a sugar addict, you know, enjoy yourself maybe for the next week and then you got to start to titrate down and maybe it's fruit and whipped cream at first to satisfy that and me you know there's ways to again do it slowly do it thoughtfully you know because yeah. i think we say super slow it's just like no i want it to happen now there's every single thyroid patient i talk to <laughs> is like when is the wake and cough when is the wake and cough and it's literally i was that patient too but the the point of at least that discussion is well you have to fix the thyroid first because you're not even going to be able to lose weight until you get there. So your impatience is based on a um, expecting something you can't even metabolically have. And so they have to have an extra level of patience, which right. is really tough. And I understand what it's like to want to get there. But I do what too. we're talking about is really important. What Monica's saying is so important that the reason super slow, it's not just, let's go back and review. It's not just because, yeah, you can drop quote pounds on a scale, but it's not body fat and you don't want that kind of weight loss. It's not sustaining and it's not what's going to make you look and feel great. Um, and then on the other side of it too, it's the thoughtfulness behind it. It's you've got to look at the patterns and what you have been doing. And that takes time and you can't barrel through it. And sometimes people don't want to look at some of the stuff, you know, some of us don't want to go back to some where these patterns came from, but the journey's worth it, right? And the journey is very rewarding when you're not just focused only on seeing a certain number on the scale. It allows you to realize how much you're getting out of that process and how much um, better you feel right away that you you know that you don't have to see that number on the scale to in a way to have accomplished your goal. You can really accomplish right. your goal on day one, which is I am going to become somebody who you know, has a, has a healthy relationship to food and to my body, you can achieve that goal on day one and your body will catch up with you. That's right. It re you really can. You, especially like you said, when, when your mind's straight and you're feeling good, you may not be in that size jeans you're waiting to pull out of the drawer, but you feel so great that that's the start. And then that's where you, you know, it keeps you going. Um, I, I, this discussion is so important. I'm so glad that you came on today. This is something everyone really needs to hear and wrap their heads around, particularly if you 
are sedentary or you have been in a bad pattern or you're really feeling horrible in your body um, or for anyone, if you keep gaining and losing that 10 pounds because right. you're a yo-yoer, then even though you look pretty good, you know you still got a problem and you might need <laughs> Monica and Brock. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so you know what I mean? Because some people have these successes here and there, so then they just keep hitting it, but they know inside, you know, if it's you, you know, if you're the person where it's just not working. I've been there. Right. Uh, well, thank you so much. It has been a wonderful conversation and uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, and thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to get our message out there. Well, everyone, hopefully you'll go ahead and visit wayless.life and we'll put all of the links in the show notes. Thanks so much, Monica, for coming on. Anytime, anytime. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all-new, comprehensive, online, multimedia course called the 21-Day Primal Reset. This is everything you need to go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal. Go all in. Make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset, daily inspirational emails, keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping lists, PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal. As soon as you register, instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum. If your goals are reducing excess body fat, be in health and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at primalblueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of add-on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal Kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at primalblueprint.com. Everyone deserves a reset. You deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you.